Well, good day. This episode of the Golf Guide podcast is, of course, brought to you by Golf Guide. Go to golfguide.net, save 20 to 70% off greens fees at courses all over California, Nevada, and Oregon, uh, with more courses coming down the pipeline. So stay tuned. And also, for all of you loyal, devout listeners of the Golf Guide podcast, I implore you, if you're purchasing certificates at Golf Guide, enter the promo code GGPODCAST at checkout and save an extra 5% on all of your purchases. So not only do you save 20 to 70% off in the first place, take an extra 5 off that at checkout just for listening to the podcast. Again, use the promo code GGPODCAST at checkout. Golfguide.net. Find the golf you need. We're live. We're fucking live. It's not wasting anymore. Not wasting anymore. What a tournament. That was amazing. This has been challenging. We've been sitting here for like about half an hour now just trying you know having tons of fun talking fantasy baseball life whatever and just trying to not talk golf so we can save everything that we had for the podcast and we managed to pull it off we did it's pretty good yeah dude what a tournament that was i think the the main word is interesting 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 is a perfect descriptor for the 2016 u.s open and i know you have a structured way that we're going to talk about this but uh I think we both have some thoughts, and I'm sure that all of our listeners watched at least some of this golf tournament. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I it mean, is the U.S. Open. I mean, here's the thing. I, I got things, you know, that I'd certainly like us to touch on, but there's there's no rhyme or reason or any. And I mean, what what is this podcast known for? Tangents. <laughs> Mostly by me. Yeah, just random tangents where we say whatever we want. So there's, there's really no structure. It's, the, the checklist is just to make sure... That we hit a couple of points at some point before we stop recording. Yes. So and we're going to let's hit. Um, I'm not gonna lie. Before I start, we started recording. My thought coming into this podcast was that it was just gonna be a solid hour of just ripping the USGA a new asshole. Oof. And deservedly so. I mean, they f- yikes. I wouldn't say it they was, screwed the pooch. They did. They fucked the pooch in the butt and then left it on the side of a road. <laughs> here's, <laughs> like, here's here's what they. Here's what they did, if, and it's it's a, a frightening way to put it, but they were uh, they basically needed Dustin Johnson's solid back nine play at a major to rescue them from yeah. a total fuck up at their own golf tournament. Well, just think about it. I mean, they needed something that's never happened before in history to happen to save them from their from their own mistake, and it did happen. It is just so wild i think you know what i think it's disgraceful totally no no i I was about to say i think it's disgraceful that they even applied the penalty to him absolutely with the four stroke uh lead that he should have the only person in the entire world that thought that penalty should be applied just so happened to be the the fuck nut working at the usj who had the ultimate say so and it was the one that decided whether or not the penalty would be enforced or not i have not talked to or seen a single person whether it's just a casual fan someone in the media a player on tour, I have not heard a peep of a, anybody saying that that ruling and that penalty was justified. Nobody. 
we'll we'll never know what made the ball move. You know, maybe the activity of the practice strokes and moving the air next to the ball caused it to move. And if it did, then he should have been assessed the penalty. But there was no conclusive evidence that that happened. And when we don't have conclusive evidence in the sport of golf, whether this is the way the rules of decision book tells you to do it or not, when you don't have definitive evidence and the player is willing to stick his neck out and say, I didn't make this happen, I'm not going to call a penalty on myself. You have to respect that. It's the crux of the game. Well, and what makes it even worse, and I'm not, I saw a couple of people kind of hammering the same point home um, on various articles, and that the USGA is the fucking organization that preaches, you know, merit, you know, honesty for the good of the game, and that, you know, it, everything in golf is based on your honesty, assessing yourself penalties, and being forthright with your playing partners and your scorecard. Well, they asked Dustin Johnson, did you move it? He said, no, I had nothing to do with it. And then the USGA decides, well, honor is usually okay, except in this situation where we'd actually like to put more of the spotlight on ourselves rather than the players playing in our tournament. And so here, honesty is actually not good. We're just going to not listen to this player who, I mean, I watched the video maybe 20 times. I'm sure you've watched it several times as well. There's no fucking way. I mean, yes, there's a 0.0 to the 13th degree 1% chance that maybe he is the is responsible for that ball moving. But anybody in their right mind who actually plays golf would look at that and say, uh, well, the greens are made of fiberglass with ball marks in them, and sometimes it's just going to move because it's fucking 15 on the stint meter. That's just that's just going to happen. Even a, a little tiny two mile per hour gust could move the golf ball. It's not his fault. Of course not. It it, it was insane. We've it's all fucking had, insane. We've all had it happen to us where a ball moves on a green that's a lot less slick than those greens, and we definitely didn't do anything to cause it. Absolutely. It, yeah. Come on. So, uh, yeah, what we have a mentality with the USGA in particular, and with rules committees at golf tournaments in general where they think that the right way to handle any rules thing is to drastically err on the side of calling penalties. Yeah. That is the the rule of interpretation that they have for everything. It if there's the slightest bit of doubt, the slightest bit, it is always construed against the player no matter what the player is playing competitors, the majority of viewers no matter what they say they're unwilling to accept a scenario where any guilty person even if they don't know they're guilty is ever found innocent of anything it's the exact opposite of what we have in like the united states criminal justice system Mm -hmm. i mean ideally and (laughs) not the real criminal justice system but anyway uh, the usga uh they take themselves way too seriously so seriously that that is the problem and let's broaden this a little bit Mm mm-hmm this was a, a debacle. It was embarrassing. It certainly it, was. It's exactly <laughs> it's exactly what golf needs to stop looking like to the public. In, in a major showcase, it it does the, you know, nobody wants to play a game where that kind of shit happens to you. Not that anybody will ever be under that kind of scrutiny, but it, it's a turnoff to the casual fan more than anybody. Completely. Completely. Uh, hardcore golf fans, we kind of take it in stride. Nothing's going to, I mean... 
you could kick a puppy in the middle of the tournament and we'd still love golf but but uh no, the casual yeah. fans don't like it and uh we're now running a really big streak of the USGA basically screwing everything up that they touch mm-hmm. and Mike Davis has this uh kind of like you know this this uh doughy smile that he seems like beyond criticism or something even though people criticize Here's him it always thing. bounces off of I expect it, when are consequences going to happen to this I expect that kind of smugness out of Billy Payne alright everybody like that's part of the appeal of the and Masters Bill, and Billy Payne's good at his job yeah but, but the thing is that's the thing about the Masters is that it's that old timey old boys kind of club where you kind of expect this you know like hey this is our tournament but because we're hosting it we obviously want a little bit of the attention and everybody's okay with it because it's all part of tradition and it's just part of the Masters and it's actually almost a, a nice part about the golf tournament, whereas the USGA is a nonprofit that is, again, their slogan is for the good of the game. They're not supposed to be commanding the attention at tournaments like this. They are there to put on a tournament. A good tournament for the USGA is where they're invisible, where the tournament is what people are tuning into and they're not distracted by anything except good golf. But USGA executive director and master pole smoker, fucking Mike Davis, on the golf channel afterwards, put together this quote and he said, quote, we'd really like a mulligan because we clearly made a big bogey. These fucking rule sticklers are begging for mulligans. I mean, what? <laughs> what, I, what? Well, <laughs> uh, I'm going to take it as a bit of a sign of progress that they admitted their mistake. But, you know, we, we go back to Chambers Bay, which was a debacle also. And mm-hmm. you can't blame them necessarily for picking a bad golf course. I mean, things happen. They thought the greens sure. would be better than they were. What are they going to do? Just say the golf and on course top of is that, shit they're in, being hosted in their defense chambers bay had a huge heat wave right before that kind of messed with the agronomy team so you know but you know, even though we you can definitely see the million flaws you know spectator experience playing conditions with that golf course it's not such a horrible thing that, that they made a mistake it, people make mistakes but sure they make a lot of mistakes they make a the lot USGA. of fucking mistakes and and then you have to look at the stuff where they just can't leave well enough alone they dick around with the par on holes they have this experimentation constantly with everything and they just meddle they're meddlesome you know they're always tweaking it's never good enough as it is Mm -hmm. and uh you know the the usga's reputation uh suffering it's been taking hits for years and the last time the usga had a reputation hit like it's been going through in the last three years of the mike davis uh Eric. Reich <laughs> is uh, back when they they lost the greens. Uh, where was it at Shinnecock? Yes, and that was just was kind, and yeah. that and that was really just a groundskeeping, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a bit of overreach, and it was embarrassing. But it doesn't even that didn't display the level of committed, broad incompetence that mm-hmm. we've seen lately from them. Well, I will say this, and um. If you talk to insiders, you know, in the golf industry, which I don't get a chance to talk to very often, but um, I did have a close friend, um, more of a close acquaintance, actually. Is there uh, such a thing as a close acquaintance? Isn't that an oxymoron? No, it's a friend. It's like Jumbo but Shrimp? A, a friend who I can call and ask questions about golf anytime, but, you know. And it's not me. I'm jealous. Yeah. Um, he was on the maintenance staff, high on the maintenance staff at Pebble Beach for several years. Um, during 2010, he was one of the one of the superintendents at the Pebble Beach Company. And when he talks about what the USGA's agronomy um, and maintenance team basically tried to force them to do, 
and basically tried to kick Pebble's maintenance staff off their own golf course to prep the U.S. Open and essentially butchered the greens for the biggest golf tournament of the year, apparently that's par for the course. They did it. I mean, they proved they did it again at Chambers Bay. They did it again this year. I mean, they they just cannot leave well alone. No. They, they, they come into all these golf courses where these superintendent and maintenance teams have spent years and years and years learning how the weather and the climate at that particular property affects the grasses, affects the growing climate, and they've mastered it. And the USGA just comes in two months in advance and says, get the fuck out of here. We know what we're doing. And then they fuck it up because they don't know what they're doing. But because of the USGA, they always get the benefit of the doubt. I think they're losing the benefit of the doubt. They are. Lately. I mean, look at us right now. We've, I mean, I don't, we've only been going for five or ten minutes. But this is exactly how I anticipated this podcast would start because you know what? The USGA deserves to get filleted after what they did this last weekend to follow up with the you know the not, Chambers Bay tournament. Not filleted, filleted. <laughs> no filleted. Sorry, <laughs> you you said filleted, but those words they mean the opposite thing, and they're so close in pronunciation. Uh, I yeah, and next year they're going to Aaron Hills, which is an impressive visual you know mm-hmm. golf course. But sure. God God only knows whether that course is going to be good enough to host a u.s open i, I heard it's like eight thousand yards from the tips when it's well, actually you playing. know we're doing it again the <laughs> the usga is the schizophrenic weird attitude let's move on though maybe and discuss well, okay uh, so we'll, we'll probably i'm sure we'll be touching on the usga debacle several more times throughout the podcast it'll but, be our punching and, line and the funny thing is punchline excuse this, me this or is very boy. well this is very representative of the unfortunate part about this is that the usga's blunder is unfortunately taking a lot of spotlight away from the guy who basically did what nobody, including the USJ, thought was possible and fucking took a torch to Oakmont and basically shot five under and then was only assessed that bullshit penalty at the end to have his final score, you know, be only, what, 276 or four, he four shot, under par. I he mean, shot three rounds in the 60s. Dustin, and, yes. Dustin Johnson's three out of four rounds were in the red, with the only one not being was his third round, one over 71. Other than that, he went 67, 69. 71-69. Yes. Three out of four rounds under par at the course that the members were almost 100% positive that the winning score was going to be plus six, plus seven, plus eight. And his round on Sunday, you know, he shot 69, which was really a 68, which is a, a really solid round. Nothing awesome considering the scores of the week, although, you 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 know, four rounds like that, you would have run away with the tournament. So mm-hmm. definitely a great round. Totally. But... The way he shot that round was so impressive. Steady as hell, solid mm-hmm. in everything. He had he was bogey free, I think, for a while. Thursday. On Thursday, his sixty seven that he shot on the first round, bogey free. And and on Sunday he was bogey free within the round for the longest time. Was, even after the USGA had tried to, you know, basically leave the uh, the sort of Damocles hanging over him for the whole round. Some people speculate that psychologically it was easier for him to go around with that because it was distracting him from the pressure of winning the tournament. Oh, I, and, I haven't heard that theory before, but and, that's interesting. And we'll never know what goes on in Dustin Johnson's head. I mean, that that thing has got to be as cloudy as all hell. But uh, <laughs> Dustin Johnson, who actually I really enjoy, he doesn't seem like the sharpest tool in the shed. I can't tell whether I'm judging him too harshly based on kind of his accent. Or yeah, whether it's really the way yeah. he is. But in any case, very, very impressive. He completely put to rest all of the uh, I mean, he's been so close so many times. Have you seen his finishes this year? Or not even this year, like the last 12 PGA Tour finishes? No, I mean, I know he was, what, top five last week? I, I think 
Seventy-five percent of them are top tens. <laughs> I mean, the guy is fucking good. I mean, he's won on two. He's ha- he has at least one win in like the last seven or eight years he on does. tour, however long he's. I mean, he's. Well, I think he's we, one of the world's best, and it. it, it it's I think we have shocking to say that, that he hasn't won until now, at is. least in a major. It is. I think we have to say that Dustin Johnson. I mean, how old is he? Thirty-two. Young. Three. Yeah. Yeah. Young. He's probably one major away from a Hall of Fame career. Considering all the winning that he does and the real high finishes and the he's born in eighty four he's thirty one years old from Columbia South Carolina yeah so I think it's safe to say we've got a Hall of Fame career on our hands now that he's shown that he can get himself over that last hurdle mm-hmm. absolutely it's entirely reasonable to think that he can win many majors he's shown himself to be good at all the major venues I'm not sure about the Masters track mm-hmm. record but he finished fourth this year so it can't be that bad I mean let's think in the oh. Now that I have it pulled up in front of me, his last, you know, handful of tournaments, starting from the U.S. Open and going backwards, first, fifth, third, tied for 12th, tied for 28th, tied for 4th, third, tied for ninth. That's right. I mean, he's right there. He does it all the time. He does it all. Now, yeah, I mean, the the rap on him was, you know, the the, the putting that disappeared and the, the lack of intensity maybe or... You know, and if you didn't know better, you would think Dustin Johnson has just is just pulling off a vape pen from the first tee to the 18th green. The guy is it just. He, have you ever seen Dustin Johnson upset? Yeah. I've okay. Seen when him. he's not missing I've like a putt up, to push it to a playoff on. I've seen him upset know, on Sunday at the U.S. Open. I've seen him upset, but I haven't seen him angry. He doesn't yeah. seem like he's got that capacity. No. But um, you know, let's let's touch on a bit of a tangent here. Hey, we're going to talk about tangents. Uh. Dustin Johnson, guy who's real steady, unflappable, mm-hmm. uh, in terms of his appearance anyway, although sure. he's he's definitely flapped a few times in his <laughs> career. But, like, it, it's an eerie kind of worm turning this week with Jordan Spieth a little bit and uh, and our boy Steph Curry. Oof. Uh, you know, I'm not going to make everybody dwell. Most of our listeners are probably Warrior fans. I'm not going to make everybody dwell on, on the outcome of the, the finals, and I'm sure we all watch that as well. But... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, without casting too much uh, criticism on the guy, we all still love him. But uh, lately, Curry and Spieth have both sort of crept toward shades of villainy in the public eye for being a little bit too pouty. Curry's throwing the mouth guard, you know, whatever. Under Armour is taking a big time hit, bro. I'm sure the guy deserved it. But, uh, you know, Spieth is kind of pissing and moaning, and he's done it a lot, but it's becoming a little less charming now, and it'll get Absolutely. less It'll get less charming the worse he plays and the older he gets. Both of them are not nearly as awesome when they're not at the top of their game and, they're and on very, top of their respective sports world. And I think they're kind of similar guys Yeah, in, in a lot of ways. They're both wearing those Curry Dad sneakers. <laughs> <laughs> I saw Jordan Spieth send out a... Uh, Instagram or something like that before the final round saying he was loving his new curry those white dad shoes that just got fucking flame roasted on the internet yeah <laughs> and then and then Matt Fitzpatrick is an Under Armour guy and he was you know melting down and anyway Under so Armour it, stock is down yeah it's it's been a rough week for Under Armour the the darlings of sports endorsements but uh, <laughs> anyway so as predicted Spieth kind of had a rough week he wasn't going in with great form and I'm kind of surprised played he well. the cut yeah, he could have missed the cut. Yeah. So I think this would be an appropriate time to brag slightly about our performance with pick recommendations. We did make some... Well, we made one nice pick. 
Well, hey, I mean, we made multiple nice picks, but I mean, we. I think we made multiple nice picks. Yeah, the, can we? Do you have a list of who we picked? Because I remember most of them. Yeah, I kind of. I'm just. We can just go off memory. Well, our <laughs> we don't write a lot of stuff down around here. My my pick for who would win the tournament was Rory McIlroy. That certainly didn't work out. Mine was J Day, and that which was I guess, a good which, good pick. He had a great Sunday. Yeah. I didn't tell you to bet on Rory McIlroy, though. Right. I told you to bet on Dustin Johnson. Right. And my friend Kyle agreed with we me. Also, so if we both said to bet on Dustin we're, Johnson. We're going to take credit for that. We, we certainly will. I told you to bet on Justin Rose, and he had a fucked up back. So I wish I could take that back. I but did he not, made the cut. When we made those picks, I did not know that he was having big-time back problems. I didn't know that either. Which, I should have known that. That's my fault. Uh, then we proceeded to tell you to bet on Jim Furyk and Zach Johnson. We most certainly did. Who both had tremendous weeks especially jim furick jimmy with furick. a ballsy ass sunday i have to tell you my brother and i we were sitting watching the tournament we put two dollars during the final round on jim furick to win the golf tournament back when damn near close like seven guys were ahead of him because we felt like the meltdown was coming and if dustin johnson had just been dustin johnson again that would have been a nice uh, if he had just reward. Been, well, we'll say, if he had just been Dustin Johnson, we would have been left with a, not exactly the three players that we wanted, but there was a three-way tie for second place. If Dustin Johnson had been Dustin Johnson, we would be, at this very moment right now, watching the conclusion of an epic 18-hole playoff between Jim Furyk, Scott Piercy, and Shane Lowry, which would... Oh, man, that would have been the most boring of playoffs. <laughs> that, can you imagine? <laughs> Holy Christ. I, I have to admit, and, th- th- you know... One thing I wanted to touch on at the podcast was, uh, you know, guys not named Dustin Johnson who we were really impressed by, and we were just getting, jumping into Jim Furyk. And we said last week that the golf course itself sets up perfectly for Jim Furyk's game. I mean, it is a par 70, but it was, you know, by PGA standards, I guess not that long because it was only like 71 or 7,200 yards. And Jim Furyk doesn't miss a lot of fairways, and he, he proved it. I mean, the guy on the very first tee on Sunday stood out, whipped his dick out, Showed it to everybody and proceeded to fire a 66. Stones. Yeah. All balls. Yeah. All balls. And he, yeah. And he made a beautiful bogey putt on 18 to mm-hmm. even preserve that yeah. round. It was, the guy played a great round of golf. I'm not the world's biggest Jim Furyk fan. No. But it was so obvious that he was underpriced yeah. at 70 to 1 totally. to win. I mean, no, don't forget about that guy. Don't don't sleep on Barry O. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, no, I. Out of guys who aren't Dustin Johnson, I was very impressed by Furyk. I was impressed by Jason Day. Yeah. He pulled a relatively shitty tournament into a pretty nice tournament. Totally. Although, that bunker shot on 17 on Sunday, you might have checked out by that point because he wasn't going to win. But right. he tried to drive the green. He was still in the hunt to take the clubhouse lead if he had you know, impressively finished. Hit a beautiful drive on 17 that just caught the bunker. And then hit like the world's shittiest bunker shot <laughs> into the other bunker and then hit a really mediocre bunker shot out of there. Yeah. And, you know, went down in flames. But overall, very impressive round. Shane Lowry, I mean, that's kind of sad. I like it was, the guy. I but mean, it's 76 on Sunday. And I, it wasn't even no. like anything particularly bad happened, although I've never seen a guy hit so many approach shots 15 yards short in my life. No. It, every iron he it was hit was, was 45 feet uh you know, under the hole on the front of the green or the fringe or a bunker. Well, it's just so couldn't, crazy. He couldn't, he couldn't hit it far enough the whole day. Well, just considering how wonderfully he was playing for the first three days. I mean, the first three days of the tournament, he went 
two under in the first round, even in the second round, five under 65 in the third round. I mean, I guess, you know, it's like uh, building up your, you know, smallpox resistance (laughs) or something. You you, you can't win a major until you've bumbled away a couple of them. Actually, I've got an interesting question for you. Dustin Johnson was one of two players in the field to shoot under par for three of the four rounds. I'll give you a little hint. The only other player to do it ended up finishing in seventh. No tie, just seventh place. He went second, third, and final round all under par at 68, 69, 69. Christ. The answer's a little intriguing. And it makes you wonder, if he hadn't shot 75 in the first round, what would have happened? No. Do I get a hint? Well, he's American. Fuck. His last name is one syllable. Oh, it's Kevin Na. Kevin Na. Yeah, yeah. See, that's all three I out of four to... rounds under par. The only other person besides DJ to do it. Well, I D- think DJ's I th- over par, you know, non under par round happened to be a seventy one, while Kevin Na's first round seventy five happened to be five over. And you know what? That was the difference. That was the difference between the well, two guys. You know, I I, I don't want to be too negative about Kevin Na, but doesn't ah that, fuck it, but do, be negative. It's doesn't okay. that seem Kevin's like, not listening to the podcast? Maybe he is. <laughs> Doesn't that seem like the way Kevin Na would play a major, though? Yeah. Like, you shoot a shitty first round, get the pressure off, mm-hmm. and then you proceed to play really well because you're a good player. That's usually how my golf game goes. With yeah. the exception of this, that past Sunday, I'm, I'm a very, you know, 45-39 kind of guy. You know? So am I, yes. I always play better after <laughs> I've shot myself out of it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, as soon as he had that pressure off after firing that ungodly 75 in the first round, he basically just pulled a Casey and Kyle and was like, ah, oh, well. I wish my bad round was a 75. Yeah, I'll right. tell you what. So let's talk a little bit about Oakmont. Is that an acceptable uh, transition? It happened to be the place where the tournament was played, so I think that's perfectly acceptable. Let's do it. Okay. Uh, you know, I hate to say it, but this podcast is about honesty. Yes. And, you know, I'll let people, I'll let, only God can judge me. Yeah, that that, that, so, uh, that is true. So, uh, beautiful I, on television. It looked great. It looked nice. And it played well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I kind of came away with it not liking Oakmont nearly as much as I thought I would. Okay. And g- give me a, give me some explanation. What? what, Forget- what, what forgettable. Really? Forgettable. You know, it's uh, if it weren't for, like, the church pew bunkers, those really signature, you know, those things that they basically don't have anywhere else, um, I I could see how it might be confused with a couple of other tracks in the rotation that are you know very similar and and you think about particular holes and how memorable they are. I can't think of too many. I mean, I remember them from watching them. But sure. Objectively, am I going to remember them in a couple of months? Probably, no, you won't. Probably not. I mean, the I'm just trying to think holes that I'll remember. Well, <laughs> golf holes I'll remember. Oh, <laughs> yeah, well, you don't have that. Well, anyway, um, forget it. Uh. 12 the big par 5 just because like when you'd look at it from that camera behind the tee you're like why is any golf hole that long <laughs> like i'm not even sure i remember yeah yeah i mean, I mean there was only two par 5s in the entire golf course i mean i remember it but i don't come on number 2 with that interesting bunker in the middle of the fairway um i don't know yeah i guess now that you think about it in a couple months from now the only I, hole i, I kind of re- remember a little bit is 17 mm. and 18 18 
nine with a big square green and the pa- yeah, practice screen at the back right, of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, th- that being said, it's not. Uh, it, it was a little bit disappointing. It's not memorable hole to hole, um, like a lot of the other. Well, a lot of the other U.S. Open venues. I mean, we talked about it on last week's, or uh, well, maybe it's one of those podcasts we haven't actually released yet. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Good on me. Here we're gonna we're gonna tease this real quick. What are the best U.S. Open venues? We might talk about that on a, a podcast that you might be getting later this week. But like at Pebble, I mean, yeah, we live close by, but any real golf fan will can clearly think of seven to eight holes at any time on Pebble. Clearly, like that. Oakmont does not have that. Yeah, and it's not, and it ha- and doesn't have anything to do with the ocean either. It's just they're all kind of, and it's not just because they play an annual tournament at Pebble either, right? And because it's on video games that everybody plays, correct? I just came away with a bit of a feeling of kind of bleh, blandness, and I was wondering whether that would be the case because in the lead up to the tournament, the media got a hold of you know a handful of pros and asked them what they thought about Oakmont. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them, like Jack Nicholas and I think Phil Mickelson, they were asked, you know, what do you think about Oakmont as a course? And they, neither of them said it was very good. Yeah. They both said just it was hard and that, you know, that's why, it, that's its identity and that it's not particularly a great course. I think Phil said that explicitly and mm-hmm. I think Nicholas did too. Oddly enough, and I have to admit that they're right. When I played golf yesterday, um, I ran... I, this is completely by chance. Um, the The gentleman that I got paired up with was a was a golf course architect who's designed fifty plus golf courses around the world, um, and he was telling me a story because um, this is during you know Sunday morning, so during the early parts of the you know like at the last little bits of the third round, early parts of the final round, um, and he was telling me about a time where he went to Oakmont, played, and uh, because there was a bunch of ar- architects that were there for like a speech, they were there with Jack Nicholas, and when he had a chance to ask Jack about the course jack said they fucked it up he said when they put all those back tees in to lengthen out the golf course it completely ruined the integrity of the whole place mm. and you know i jack knows a hell of a lot more than i do regarding golf course architecture but if that's what he's saying i believe it but i'll take his word for it you know l- golf is a, a great game because the luminaries of the sport the the hall of famers and the old timers and everything in most sports, they never really say anything. Mm-mm. But in golf, you hear a lot of criticism and honest answers from people, and that's one of the nice things about the game. They're, totally. they're willing to tell you how they really feel about stuff. Jack Nicholas was not shy about sharing some of his thoughts, after, especially after the whole, obviously, Dustin Johnson fiasco. I think um, <laughs> after, basically, like the, the trophy ceremony, um, the words that Jack used to describe the whole debacle were quote terrible and very unfair yeah he's right and then uh he said quote in my opinion golf is a game of honor that's what the usga believes in and that's what most of the players all believe in and when you have a situation where the official was there and said did you cause it to move and he says no that should be the end of the story and how's he supposed to know what caused it to move? You've got greens out there with spike marks and pitches. The ball can move at any time. We're saying the same point. thing we were saying it's before. It's a good point. It's I a mean, good point. So, in a sense... Wonderfully, beautifully honest. What the guy, what the player thinks about what caused the ball to move shouldn't be the only thing that matters. If you've got, And that's why they have a rules official with every group. Right. And, and, and we have video, for better or worse. If the video shows you that it's clearly 
you know, been moved for one reason or another, it's like replay in every other sport. There's no reason to ignore it. But it doesn't mean the player is being dishonest. And it right. also doesn't mean that we have to take everything where we don't have an ironclad conclusion and blame the player for that. So, yeah, that's what we got. Very briefly, let's talk about how another very lovely golf tournament handled a high-profile rules fuck-up a few years ago, and that's mm-hmm. the Masters, when Tiger Woods was playing great mm-hmm. and was on 15 and hitting his third from the down slope mm-hmm. and hit it off the flagstick. And spun it into the creek. Right. Lake, Tiger, creek, whatever ti- it is. Yeah, what was that? That was that. the lake, right? Yeah, it's a lake. It's 15. What the hell knows? So, the hazard. Tiger was actually looking like he might win the tournament. Mm-hmm. Although there was a whole day of golf left to be played. Right. But it was a, a shocking moment. Bad luck. And then he took a drop under the rules. But he dropped it. You know, a solid yard or yard and a half back of his divot. Hmm. Uh, Not on line with where the ball crossed the hazard and the hole. And, you know, these astute rules Nazis who watch (laughs) the tournament uh, determined that it was an improper drop and they called into Augusta and they confronted Tiger with it. After he signed a scorecard. Okay, I'm starting to recall this a little bit. And Tiger had already signed a scorecard for, I think, a six or whatever he ended up taking on that mm-hmm. hole. So what we had there, in my opinion, was visual evidence that pretty clearly did, let's be honest, it showed a drop that was illegal. Yeah, an illegal drop. It wasn't as close it wasn't as close as it needed to be to the spot he had previously played. Mm-hmm. He definitely moved beyond that area farther from the hole but it doesn't matter so you're tiger woods you get mvp treatment yeah so we yeah, well <laughs> so we we have video that shows a rules infraction uh you know it doesn't mean that the player did it on purpose there was no advantage to doing it except maybe you don't want to drop your ball in your divot but right. but uh, nobody does that anyway when they comply with that rule so what's the difference um in any case, it was an inadvertent rules infraction that we had clear evidence of on video. But what ended up happening, and maybe it was star treatment, but maybe not, was that even though he had signed a lower number, they just added the strokes, and they called it a day. Yeah. And that was the right way to resolve that. It certainly was. And uh, we need to be moving more toward that kind of... Uh, you mean they did common sense way of applying the rules. You mean they didn't go up to Tiger on Sunday right as he was about to hit his tee shot on 12 and say, "You know, we might we're looking yeah. at we're looking at your 15th hole from yesterday and I know you're right in the hunt, but you might get a penalty." Right. But you, you might not, but yeah, the you Masters might get a penalty. We're looking into it, okay? We'll talk after the round, so you just go ahead and play these last 7 holes. The Masters, try not to think about it, okay? And the Masters wasn't afraid of uh God. <laughs> in, you know, oh, will I go to hell if I don't disqualify somebody for this honest mistake that they made? They just, they dealt with it in a very fair way. Sure. That was a compromised position. It led to what everybody wanted to see happen, which is, you know, we don't want to flout the rules, and you know we also don't want to see Tiger Woods get disqualified or anybody sure. get disqualified for some bullshit. So, apply the penalty, move on, and 
be clear about it and act like a man when you do it. And the USGA needs to take man lessons from Augusta. <laughs> yeah, they absolutely do. I mean, Augusta, I mean, the, the powers that be at Augusta National, um, they, like I was you know referring to earlier, they have the confidence, and I wouldn't go so far as to say they have a braggadocious nature, but, you know, they they have no problem just putting their foot forward and be like, listen, this is how we're going to do it. That's what it is. And everybody accepts it because it's Augusta National, where the USGA, they just find a way to fumble it up and talk about how they're doing this for the, I keep on hammering it, this is for the good of the game, we're just enforcing the rules, but then make such a big deal out of it because they're all just starved for attention, and it just, it comes out so bad. It just looks awful, and you could not handle it any worse. It, this Again, M- Mike Davis, <sighs> this has not been, not been a good Reich. This no, is, it hasn't. No, this is this has been bad. This is a tangent. This is yeah. Am I allowed to tangent? This is what the podcast is no, all about. Am I allowed to tangent now? Please, please, yes, please. Tangent permission granted. Please, I saw go forward. Ar- I want to hear your thoughts on this. I saw an article about the golf ball needing to be dialed back okay. because it's a little much. Sure, with how far these fuckers hit it, and the author of the article, and I wish I could cite to it, but. Uh, he speculated that the way it would happen is not the USGA or the RNA, because those guys just can't handle the issue. They're just True. not going to do it. That Augusta would be the one institution to put its foot down and say, for our tournament, we're giving you the balls. Uh, and that there's, you know, it used to be that way for some All tournaments. Balls. All balls on Augusta National. I like that. And that you're allowed to put your Strix on and your Nike and your Pro-V, and you're allowed to stamp the ball with that. I don't know whether, by the way, as, a, as speaking as a, an attorney, I'm not sure whether that would violate any kind of uh, you know, false advertising laws or anything like that. But, it may. But moving on, uh, assuming that they let the sponsors get their two cents in, uh, you know, and... They, the the author speculated that Augusta could do it. If there is one tournament would, that could pull it off, it, it's definitely the Masters. Yeah, 100%. And that, and that that would be the start of growing momentum to get people to realize they can play with a ball that's a little more toned down and then make the switch. I'd love to for, see it. Yeah. If you're asking for my opinion, I, shit, I fucking hope they do it in 2017. And Jack Nicholas is on the record you know, with his informed opinion saying that's really what needs to happen and that mm-hmm. you know Augusta can afford to buy land across the street to lengthen <laughs> holes. He said this, that, yeah. but that not, you know, almost every course can't afford that. At some point though, the golf course is not the same. At some point you need to actually, they need to actually just stop lengthening golf courses and say, no, yeah. They, at the rate it's going, you know, 20 years from now, guys are going to be playing 9,000, you know, 9,000 yard golf courses. And nobody wants to, nobody wants well, to do that. We've got the cap on the, the, what is it? The, uh, springiness of the face and the size of the club head right so at some point I, it's got to happen to the ball as it, well it's hard well the ball has limits too doesn't it it does I mean, but I'm they sure just need to they just need to change them make them more restrictive sure but i don't think we're in danger of it getting that much worse than it is now but the question hmm. is whether we can even live with the way it is and we we spoke on the last podcast that may or may not have been released about the consequences for the average golfer of playing a game where this is going on, you know, 
you might get your dick stroked a little bit by your occasional long drive, but mm-hmm. you're stuck hunting for balls that are farther afield than usual. Golf rounds of golf take longer. Uh, courses become a little bit less fair for competition. Well, I'll, so. I'll ask you this, and then I'll, I'll you know, uh, I'd like your reaction. And I actually don't know the answer, so I, I'd like your input. Do you think the talent and ability gap between solid amateurs and professionals is wider or more narrow than it has been in the past? Meaning that are the pros far better in relation to the average golfer now than they were 30 years ago? I think it's wider now. Yeah. And do you think it's because of the equipment? No, no, because the amateurs have essentially the same equipment as the pros that's mm-hmm. just fitted more poorly hmm. um the uh professionals have giant support systems of scientists that make them better than they've ever been and amateurs still don't have that hmm. amateurs have access to deeper knowledge than they used to have in terms of uh you know track man instructors and uh you know the the evolution of knowledge like there has been in every sport, I think the amateurs are better than they ever have been as well. I but, guess it's true. But the pros specialize. The pros are better than they've ever been. Sure. Because I wonder if, other than Tiger Woods not being very active right now, I wonder if the diminishing interest in watching elite professional golf, because you know, if you take a look at the TV ratings, they are down. I mean, with the exception of the Masters, they're down. And I wonder if that is because you know fans are able to relate less and less to what the pros are doing than maybe they were at some point in the past. I'm not sure because sometimes the freakish nature of the players on the tour is what draws viewers. Oh, sure. Like Tiger Woods and John Daly bombing the drive and kicking ass. Barry, Lamar. Yeah, so I don't think the public needs to see normalness out there. Okay. I think the public wants to see a little more flash and just more personality. Totally. Uh, you know, guy like Ricky Fowler who actually had balls. No offense. I mean, I, I he's a great player, but and he, he won the players. We all know. We all remember. That's why but, Danny Willett was so great. That that's why we loved him at the Masters. Now, did you want to talk about Danny Willett? Well, I just wanted to note a little thing. I, I don't know if you saw this, but I didn't. Uh, I don't um, think I saw. <laughs> During the third round of the U.S. Open at Oakmont, Danny Willett. Broke his putter in frustration. Quote, the putter had been bad all week. Is that your w- British accent? No, no, no. <laughs> the putter had been bad all week, Willett said Sunday, after shooting 71 to finish the tournament at 289, 9 over par. Willett played the back nine first, and after three putting the eighth green, he took out his anger on the putter by wrapping it several times against the course bridge that goes across the Pennsylvania turnpike. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's now in two pieces. <laughs> was Danny Willett's quote after <laughs> after the incident. <laughs> and he played out the round. Yeah, he did. I think he, uh, maybe he ended up finishing out with a, a driver or something Good like that. Good for him. I wish I'd seen that. Yeah. Well, I, I like him more now. Yeah, we were on record saying that we were, I was really hoping that Danny Willett would be, you know, thrown into some sort of an awesome 18-hole playoff where he would upset the golfing world on Monday. Um, I didn't think that's what was going to happen, but it, it's what I was rooting for. It would have been funny. It's what I was rooting for. It would what, have been great. What did you think of the broadcast? That, that's another point that I wanted to hit. Um, I got some comments from friends who were texting me, asking me the same thing, and I didn't think it was completely awful. I certainly thought it was better 
than their broadcast at Chambers Bay. I think the the lack of Greg Norman was good for everybody. Um, Paul Azinger was able to more or less keep the broadcast together and make it respectable. A guy with you know a pretty good amount of commentary experience. Uh, Brad Faxon was nice. I mean, you can think what you want about Joe Buck. He's not a golf announcer, so I tried to, for some unknown reason, cut him some slack. Um, I thought it was really strange how heavily they relied on their shot tracker. where every, It seemed like every single ball that was hit, they all of a sudden had that little like in-screen graphic of, you know, calculating the ball flight, the distance, the angle, the peak, you know, height of elevation, the carry distance. It's like, can I just fucking watch some golf? Like, I, I, I what you, it's like you guys are relying on all this technology to carry what's otherwise a somewhat lackluster broadcast. And that was my thoughts. And apparently I thought a lot more highly of it than some of my other friends did. So I don't know. What, what did you think of the broadcast? I thought the broadcast was a lot better than it was last year, mostly because they got rid of Greg Norman and they didn't have a lot of the weird screw-ups and, and tone-deaf kind of things that they had last year. Sure. Joe Buck is, is bad. Yeah. He's really not a good announcer. He's as dull as dishwater. <laughs> we would both be better than him, and we're rank amateurs. Yeah. And, Absolutely. Uh, Although, I have to say, I loved the part on the Sunday broadcast where Joe Buck couldn't remember Brad Faxton's name. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> so, um, it's not all bad. Um, Holly Saunders was forgettable once again, except for that bright pink dress that she had on. I wasn't thinking she... the bl- that blue dress that she was wearing on Friday. Um, yeah, well, you know, That's the thing. If they Holly Saunders, just... I mean, there's plenty of, not that she's a bad looking woman at all, but there's plenty of women you can look at on your computer while you watch golf with analysts on sure. it on um, TV. I, I actually, you know, I don't think Holly Saunders is bad. I mean, no, I w- she knows a lot about golf, but she I, knows they, a lot they about golf. They don't let her really say anything meaningful on these broadcasts. No, and no, they no, they don't. And um, I mean, we, we we touched on it before. You know, it's it's kind of Fox's thing. Fox is really good at employing very attractive women in short dresses and short skirts. It's a leg based network. It is a leg based network. Um, I thought Holly Saunders looked quite good and if they had just kind of kept a graphic of her just sort of standing around and twirling her hair and checking out her instead you know, of the shot tracker and, and, and checking her, and, holly tracker. Yeah, and checking her underwear line in like the <laughs> bottom corner of the screen that would have been just fine i didn't really need to hear her talk and that's not saying that she's bad because she, again she knows a lot about golf um but most of her contributions to the broadcast i think were based on really just how good she was looking yeah I'm, i don't hate the shot tracker i think it's okay the shot tracker is good but it was all the additional numbers and yeah we don't calculating that. that was going on the only number like, the only number that did anything for me and i i caught myself looking at it carry a bunch distance of times was carry distance for me, me i too. thought that that was kind of a and and drive distance i thought that those were pretty good graphics but nobody needs apex or speed or it's irrelevant it doesn't mean anything it's totally irrelevant it made no sense to me right so it was improved uh, if, you know, if it continues improving, it it could become good. Sure. Uh, at least they showed the balls to get rid of Norman right away. Well, some of the initial uh, viewership ratings are in. Yeah, probably pretty low. This is the now second lowest ratings for a final round of the U.S. Open after Martin Keimer's 2014 runaway. It's obvious, though. It was. Let's be honest here again. I'm I'm so honest. I am really a great guy. Unabashedly honest. The tournament was really boring until Sunday. It just yep. was. It was. Yeah. The, the 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 weather delay got everything off to a weird bad start. I'm a fucking junkie, so I still enjoyed it. But if you're not, 
I enjoyed I don't it know too, how, I don't I don't know how you would you'd be able to sit down and watch that for five plus hours. You didn't on get, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. You didn't get brutal conditions, so you missed out on the enjoyment of that. Mm-hmm. It was this weird kind of thing where guys are still shooting under par, but there's not a lot of birdies, so it's kind of in this this purgatory of kind of unexciting scoring. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of hazards. It's just kind of like, you know, you're you're seeing a lot of bogeys and pars and not a lot of others and not a lot of birdies and not a lot of eagles, certainly. No. Uh, so, Jesus. And then most of the compelling players were never in the hunt. And then after Saturday, you had, I mean, of course, as real golf fans, it's all interesting. But mm-hmm. Shane Lowry... He was a cool guy. I yeah. think he's got a good personality. He's Me kind too. of um, a, an attractive yeah. player. I like Shane Lowry. Uh, but nobody cares, you know, by and large. Mm-hmm. Then you had Dustin Johnson in the wings, and you had Jim Furyk. And, I mean, you look at that. You look at the guys who finished in the top 20 of this tournament, and it's like a list of guys who you don't even necessarily want to have, like, a beer with. <laughs> Except for Lowry. I, you know, it's, I, I feel like I have to mention this before I forget. You know who I oddly really enjoyed watching was Scott Piercy. Yeah. He was playing he really well. he was playing really good golf and it was probably the most attention I've ever paid to Scott Piercy in any one tournament ever. I really love his he's got a great very easy and relaxed swing. His back swing is real slow and languid. It's slow, it's in line, it looks it's very relaxed almost to a fault. But he keeps just enough energy in there where he can, you know. It looks like he should hit the ball like 200 yards, yeah. but he doesn't. No, it, it, it was really oddly satisfying. I don't, I don't know why I enjoyed watching Scott Piercy as much as I did this weekend, but I. I but he's, I, but he's, you got to admit, he's, you know, he's got no personality that we no? can, that we can tell out no? on the, during the round. No. I, and even Dustin Johnson. He's a handsome fellow, though. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But, but even Dustin Johnson, uh, he, he has a very personality filled golf game. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally, it's exciting to watch him play, but you know he's kind of a boring guy to watch. There's sure. not a lot of emotiveness, and he's no Jordan Spieth, you know, or, Jason, that, Day, that, or Jason Day or Rory McIlroy. All those guys are a little bit more fiery. I know jo- Dustin Johnson seemed more interesting when he had a large skiing habit. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> and and also, yeah, Dustin Johnson just uh, kind of a boring guy, uh, except for the skiing. Yeah, uh, Paulina. Yeah, and as and as you know, his, his son happens to be Wayne Gretzky's grand grandchild. That's you know, I guess, kind of interesting. That's kind of interesting. Well, what were your thoughts on Paulina's outfit? It was very white. It was very white. And very short. Yeah, but I if mean, you're into that kind of thing, it was pretty nice. Doesn't really matter to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I, she looked very good. She looked very good. That's the thing. I, I'm. She's not really, you know, my. T- I guess. Oh, in, please, air, in, my, in my air quotes, oh, please. type. That's bullshit. You know, do I find her attractive? Would I like, you know, if she... She isn't my type. All right, let's just be brutally honest. If Paulina Gretzky sat me down and I was a single man and said, do you want to get down? I'd be like, let's go downtown, you know? Right, that, of course. I mean, of course. Uh, I think Holly Saunders is hotter. Really? I do, yeah. Wow. Holly Saunders seems like a nicer person. Or, or at least more relatable. There's definitely more but upstairs with Holly Saunders. God only knows. I mean, yeah. I don't even know anything about Paulina Gretzky, to be honest with you. I don't know anything. I just know that she was on the cover of Golf Digest in a sports bra one there's time, a and great, I was confused. There's a, great Wayne, there's a great Wayne Gretzky story, though, uh, that relates to sort of the women, the, the, the women Gretzkys. Mm-hmm. 
please share with us. Don't. I think this might be the second Great Wayne Gretzky story in, in this podcast history, so please, please continue. It, did I tell this story before? I don't know. Start telling it, and I'll tell you if you did or not. I might have. <laughs> I probably did. I did. I think I did. I'll <laughs> tell it real quick. Gretzky, I think, was on the Kings, and he was playing an important game, and his wife was sitting on the boards with you know some other wives and girlfriends, or maybe with the owners. Who knows? Okay. And a check into the boards shatters one of the boards and the glass this was before the glass was i think safer mm-hmm. and goes in the glass falls into the stands and cuts up gretzky's wife at the time mm. and i'm not sure they're still together mm. but she was you know injured and Ooh. had to be taken to the hospital oh, no. and she was fine but this was i think you know in the second period Gretz- gretzky finished the game of course he did he didn't go anywhere he why, wasn't, why would he? Wasn't, of course. So he wasn't going to any hospital. You know, doctors will take care of it. And uh, he he finished the game. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he is the great one. He is the great one. He's, he's you know, that's why you get paid the big Not the great husband. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you get paid the big bucks. Yeah. That is, that, is, that is why you make the big bucks. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of the, the female presence, Paulina looked good. Holly looked good. Other than their striking appearance i i don't know if either one contributed too much um you know i gotta say we we hit most of the stuff here that i that i was hoping we uh we would go over um oakmont it was a good host but not ultra memorable is, is that kind of what we're, we're both on the same page with that yeah i mean i i hate to say it but this was kind of like a c minus major yeah uh, well let's think i want what would we be saying if there wasn't that controversy on Sunday? Yeah, it would have been dull as hell. Do you think the I mean, we had a we had a, a margin of victory that was kind of uninteresting? Yeah, we we had weird weather delays that made it really hard to get a sense of who was in the lead and who wasn't mm-hmm. for the first few days of the tournament. Totally, it, it just, and that's it not a, their fault was, or anything. It was a scattered golf tournament, and that that part is not you know. Unlike everything else, that was not the USGA's yeah, fault. Yeah, and it was kind of like this dull overcast and you know, kind of damp, and it just didn't do it for me, I hate to say. I love golf. I love the U.S. Open. But it was a little bit of a disappointment. Sure, sure. Well, I guess the last thing we'll touch on before uh, we bid our listeners adieu. Um, what, what do you think about DJ going forward? He's got a major... He'll do he's, great. He's got a major under his belt. He'll continue what, what, doing great. Yeah. What What do you think about DJ's prospects? You know, going forward. You know, let's just say for the rest of 2016, does he have to be considered like the favorite along with Jason Day at the at the Open Championship? Absolutely. Yeah. The only thing that was ever keeping him from being favored in majors was the fact that he'd never won one. Right. Because his track record and his statistics are all on par with those other guys. So far, through two majors in 2016, he has a win and a tied for fourth at Augusta. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And he's he's always in the running. He never really flames out like some of the guys do. Like I couldn't see him missing a cut like Rory McIlroy. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure he's missed some cuts in majors, but it seems to happen a little bit less frequently than it happens for some of these other guys. Sure. So the the Fox broadcast did a nice job of showing just how dramatically or it might have actually been the Golf Channel. Who cares? <laughs> of how, I think it was the Golf Channel, about how dramatically he's improved his wedge play over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he's always going to hit it a long way. He's always going to hit it straight. That's never going to change. I hope and, not. Yeah. And so long as the wedges are good and he avoids the three putts, 
there's nothing stopping him totally from doing this every week. Yeah, I certainly hope so. I mean, shit, I I, I love just seeing greatness. Yes, and so for that, I, I hope he wins another major this year. I think that yeah, awesome. sure. Why not? I mean, we need to have a lot of guys up there who are compelling. That way, we'll be going to you know watch majors where we've got Spieth against Johnson, which we've seen before, but or McElroy against Johnson or Day against Johnson, and then it'll be kind of like a fair fight, and we we get to see which guy is going to be the best player of his generation or just one of the great players of his generation. I'm just happy that when Tiger finally comes back, he's going to have some real fucking competition. That's, that's what I'm looking forward to. You know, some guys that can actually step up to him and go toe to toe with the, with the, you know, what's a great one. You know, it all comes back to Tiger. (laughs) It really does. I mean, it's kind of sad. Like, like I said, the, it had the second lowest, you know, final round ratings, you know, of any U S open over the last like 20 years. A huge part of that has to be the Tiger's not playing. Even though he hasn't... I don't think so. You don't think so? It's part of it. I mean, if Tiger were playing, it would definitely be higher. But, I mean... Last the, year, the ratings were good, weren't they? Uh, They were better than this year. I think they were pretty solid last year. Maybe they, maybe they weren't. They weren't so great last really. year. Uh, they should have been. Even at that well, I mean, dog track. Tiger shot 80 in the first round, and he was basically out of it. So, everybody kind of lost interest, I think. That, that was part of it. Yeah. <sighs> Who knows? Yeah... I don't know. But you got any other final thoughts on uh, on the tournament from this past weekend before we no. bid adieu for another week? No, I think we covered it. Yeah. Congra- oh. Congratulations to Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson. I don't get to. It's it's another guy I don't get to make fun of. You know, I can't run out of people to make fun of in life because then I'll just be left making fun of myself. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, thank you, everybody. Enjoy your week. We hope you enjoyed the U.S. Open as much as we did, and uh, we'll be back next week bye y'all that's a wrap everybody thank you so much for listening to the podcast we as always had a tremendous amount of fun um we will be back next week this is just a reminder that today's podcast was brought to you by golf guide and golfguide.net don't forget to enter the promo code g g podcast at checkout to save an extra five percent on top of the 20 to 70 percent you're already saving in the first place. Again, that's golfguide.net. Thanks so much, everybody. We will be back soon. Bye-bye.